welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. If you need that phone number, if you're here, uh, you need that number, it's in your bulletin. So you can find that texting number from there. Um, If you're online with us, uh, that number is also in the bulletin. You can find it online, uh, so it's easy to find. Um, And we'll we'll flash it up again at the end of the service uh, for you to be able to text to. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get some interaction there. That'll be fun to have a few questions that have to do with the sermon or the book of Ephesians. That'll be exciting. So, well, today's a good day. Would you agree? Even, uh, even if you came today tired or weary, uh, if you've had a difficult week, uh, we still have a good God who's on the throne, and so it's still a good day. Well, last week I told you that I recently discovered that I am 38% Scottish, which is fantastic. I've gotten some feedback on that, which is all wonderful, wonderful stuff. And uh, I actually have some new news for you this week. Not different news, I am still 38% Scottish, that hasn't changed, Uh, but a very exciting thing happened over Christmas for me. So when, uh, on Christmas Day, of course, we're opening our presents up, and my lovely, wonderful wife, who's just fled the room, uh, bought me, she bought me one square foot of land in Scotland, and not only am I now Scottish, but I am also now a Scottish lord. Isn't that awesome? Just such a fun, fun thing. You may henceforth refer to me as Lord Gregory Clark of Plot 542090 in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. It's official. I am a Scottish Lord. I just think that's the most wonderful thing ever. I'm just so tickled by that and uh, like overly so. I was really playing that up in my house over Christmas break. And, uh, you know, whenever it's time to take out the garbage or something like that, I have to just remind everybody, that's for the peasants to do. That is not what a Lord does. And I've, uh, I've tried to get my kids to refer to me as Lord, but they haven't done that yet, but we'll see how that works out. It's just a fun, fun thing. Well, today we're looking at uh, the biblical book of Ephesians, a letter in which the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus a church which is mainly made up of a, of a bunch of Gentiles. And if you remember from last week, the Gentiles were brand new to this whole God thing. They didn't have a long history of knowing who God was. They didn't have a long history of knowing what the church was supposed to look like. They didn't have a long history of even knowing how they fit in to this amazing God story. And Paul spends a lot of time in the letter to the Ephesians speaking specifically about who they were so that they can understand how they fit in to this amazing story. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter from prison. This is one of four prison epistles along with the books of Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, which we're going to talk about in the next three weeks. Paul starts off this book, this letter to the Ephesians, with a stellar first chapter. 
right out of the gate, Paul says that this book is written to the saints in Ephesus. Now, being a saint actually seems a little bit better than being a lord. So this is an exciting thing. Before I was a Scottish lord, I was a saint. Can you imagine it? Paul writes to the saints in Ephesus. And while this book may not be written to us, it is certainly written for us. And so we can include ourselves in this salutation. So to the saints in Ephesus includes us. To the saints in Beaver Lodge, to the saints in Hythe, to the saints in Wembley, to the saints wherever you're from. Mom, for you, it's to the saints in Rockledge. To all of you, the saints, how do you like that? How do you like being called a saint? Not just, are, you're, not just that you're called a saint, but it's official. You are a saint. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. You are a saint. Now, if you like that, you're going to love this first chapter of the book of Ephesians. This is an identity chapter. In this first chapter, Paul goes on to say, not only are we saints, but we are also blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are chosen, holy, and blameless in His sight. We are predestined to be adopted as His sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in love. Isn't that good? We've been redeemed through His blood and forgiven of our sins. He has lavished His grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. God has revealed to us the mystery of His will in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. What is God's will? We're going to talk about that. Again, Paul says this, again, we are chosen and predestined. We are for the praise of God's glory. We have been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in God. More than just a little piece of paper that says that I am a Lord, more than that, you've been guaranteed an inheritance, godly inheritance, a heavenly inheritance in Christ because the Holy Spirit is that guarantee of that inheritance for you. That's a good list. That's an amazing list. But not only that, Paul then goes on to pray that we will receive even more. Paul prays for us that we, would be, that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know God better. And Paul prays for us that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened to know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for we who believe. That power... That power that, that Paul is praying for us to receive, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, of God's mighty strength, which God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's what Paul has to say about us, that we, followers of Jesus Christ, we are saints. We are saints. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? I mean, do you really walk in this? Do you really understand and, and, and fully comprehend and receive this identity? The identity that Christ says is true about who you are? Well, that's who we are in Christ. That's our identity. And then Paul goes into chapter 2, which changes a little bit, but ever so slightly. 
He changes what his, his direction is in chapter 2. I want you to picture it this way. I remember coaching junior high and high school football. Uh, this was a, just a few years ago. I used to, to coach here at the high school when they had a football team, and I used to coach in Wembley a bit as well. Uh, and uh, whenever we'd go into the locker room at halftime, when we were kind of about maybe a touchdown or two, it seemed to be we were always a touchdown or two behind, my first job was always to encourage the kids to make sure that they were okay. I, I, I'd go to Johnny. I'd say, Johnny, hey, nice catch for that first down. I'd go to Ricky and say, Ricky, nice blocking upfield. You did a good job. I'd tell the kids, make sure you drink some water. Make sure you put some ice on that elbow, Augie. Make sure you, you take care of yourself. I, I'd tell them, hey, I saw your mom up in the stands. She, she seems really proud of you. I'd tell them, I, I saw your dad with his foam finger. That was an exciting thing. That was really cool. I tell them that kind of stuff. But once that initial piece was done, it was time to take a hard look at what was happening in the field. I'd say, guys, we're, we're down two touchdowns. We need to tighten up the line. We need to remember our passing routes. We need to, we need to listen to the coaches. We need to trust each other. We need to work together. My, my famous line is, there's 12 guys on the field for a reason. Everybody has to do their part. You can't do this on your own. I tell them to tie their shoes. I tell them to put their helmets on. I tell them to get out there and, and let's win this game. I'd remind them, we've practiced hard. Now let's execute. I'd say, you need to remember who you are. We can do this. And that's what Paul begins to pull together in chapter 2. Uh, Paul reminds the people of where they've come from. He starts off chapter 2, he says it this way. As for you... So remember, chapter 1 is all about, this is who you are in Christ, and, and this is what I'm praying that you're going to receive. And then he starts off chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, so far, Paul has only said positive things, really encouraging things. And then he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, that, that word in the Greek, that word is nekros, which means corpse, so he's not just saying you were dead, he's saying you were a corpse. Before you knew Jesus, you were a corpse in your transgressions and sins. Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, We were by nature objects of wrath. Objects of wrath. You see, God, who is holy and righteous and perfect and life himself, can have nothing to do with death, can have nothing to do with the corpse. In fact, did you know that the religious leaders of the time, the, the Pharisees and, and the people that were serving, the Levites and those type of people, they could not be near a corpse or else they would become ceremonially unclean. God himself could not have anything to do with death. And you and I were corpses, far off from God, dead and of no use, stinky, decaying, rotten. But even though God is holy and righteous and is the total opposite of death and decay, there's another characteristic of God. There's another characteristic. Not only is He holy and righteous, but there's another characteristic of God that reached through the holiness, through His righteousness, through even our, the depths of our depravity and our brokenness. The, this characteristic of God reached through all of that to rescue us. And that powerful characteristic of God that seems to be driving everything that he does is his love. 
It's His love. So that Paul can say this in verses 3 to 5. He says, We were by nature objects of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And not just that, but, but look at what God has done for us. Formerly, we were corpses. Formerly, we were corpses. And here's what God did in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in, heavenly, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God raised us up in Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The power that God displayed through the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus physically from death, God uses that same power to raise us spiritually from death. That same Holy Spirit to lift us out of our spiritual death and seat us with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's astonishing. It's astonishing that God would have anything to do with death. But He came and He raised us to life and raised us to be with His Son. Now, throughout the rest of Ephesians, Paul keeps reminding the people of the, the grace of God in their lives, in our lives, changing our old self of death into our new self of life. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, Remember at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded, foreigners, without hope, and without God. What a sad state of affairs. Separate from Christ, excluded, foreigners without God, without hope and without God. And then he follows that verse up by saying, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And then again in chapter 5 verse 8, Paul says this, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Uh, Throughout the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul keeps telling us that we need to live in this new reality. This is who you are. You need to live it out. You need to put off that old self and put on the new self. And and all of this that's happening in our lives, it's an outworking of God's grace in our lives. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Uh, Paul paints this picture, this amazing picture. This This is who you are now. This is who you used to be, and you need to to remember that, but not dwell on it, because this is who you are now. Don't live like that old self anymore. Live like the new self. We've been given a great gift by God. Now live it out. I remember a few years ago, I was meeting with an older gentleman in my office, and he was struggling with that old life of sin. And yes, of course, Christians, we still sin. We still occasionally sin. We will never be fully rid of sin until we reach heaven. Our goal, though, is to be pressing forward into that new life. Well, this gentleman was doing just that. He was done with his old life of sin. He had come to the end of himself, and now he was wanting to press forward into the new life. And as we prayed together and we we sought out Jesus together, uh, this gentleman had a vision. He saw his life laid out in front of him like this expansive garden. And in the center of the garden was this gigantic old dead tree. 
The roots of the tree were gnarly and went through the whole garden. The tree oozed death and was such a blight over everything. Everything that touched the tree was dead. The tree represented his old life, his life that was filled with death and decay, the, the old self. And this man had tried to, to get rid of this tree under his own power, but it was to no avail. So he had tried to hide the tree, squish it down so nobody would ever see it, but that didn't work either. He tried to ignore the tree, and again, it did no good. The tree was like a cancer in his soul. Can you relate to that? Have you tried on your own to get rid of that old self? Have you tried to hide it and squish it down? Have you tried to ignore it and come to the end of yourself? There was only one way to get rid of the old self. There's only one way to dig out that tree, and so we called on Jesus. Jesus, only you can rid this man of his old self. And in the vision, we saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. He described it to me. He saw Jesus come straight to the tree in the middle of the garden and tore it, tear it out by its roots. Jesus did this easily, ripped it right out, roots and all, and flung it off into oblivion. And when you know it, Jesus didn't just leave a gigantic hole in the middle of this garden. Jesus planted a new tree there, a tree that was good and whole with good fruit that shone beautifully in the garden. Jesus changed that man that was sitting in my office that day. His old self was taken away. The new self was established in Christ Jesus. There was still work to do. The gentleman had to live out this new identity. He had to live it out. The old was gone. It was leaving, and the new was being established. And this is what Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. In fact, it's, common, it's a common talking point for Paul throughout the book of Ephesians and, uh, and other books that he's written. In, in Colossians, in fact, Paul says this. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Paul also mentions this in, in 2 Corinthians. Here's what he says there. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And here in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this in chapter 4 and verse 22 and 24. He says, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In fact, the, the Greek word that's being used here for the putting off and the putting on of the old self and the new self is the word for putting on clothing. Clothe yourself, Paul says. Clothe yourself. Take off your old garment of brokenness and death and decay and put on the garment, the new garment. And this is why Paul goes into this famous passage in Ephesians. If you know about Ephesians, you may have heard about this, about this passage before. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God. Here's what Paul says. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Clothe yourself with the armor of God. We are to clothe ourselves in the armor of God. This is what the new self looks like. It looks like being clothed in this amazing armor. And we can see the same theme again in many of Paul's books. In Galatians, Paul says, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
You've clothed yourselves with Christ. The new self that Paul talks about, this armor of God that Paul talks about, all of this is synonymous with Christ. We put Christ on like a garment. We are clothed with Christ. So I want you to look around you for a moment. Look around you. If you're at home, look at the people next to you. Hopefully there's somebody with you as you're meeting. If you're in this room here, look around at the people around you. Your brothers and sisters are clothed in Christ. So I want you to tell them that. Look at somebody at your table or across the room from you and just say to them, you are clothed in Christ. You are clothed in Christ. We as the body of Christ are clothed in Christ. How amazing is that? How amazing is it that you are clothed in Christ? This is why all the stuff in chapter 1 is possible. Because you're clothed in Christ, you are holy and blameless. You are loved in receiving the riches of God's grace, sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's all because you are clothed in Christ. That is why you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, because you are clothed in Him. Now, why would God do such a thing? What a strange thing, don't you think? That, that God would clothe us in His Son, that we would be covered in Christ. Why would, why would God do this? Well, here's what Paul says is the reason. In Ephesians chapter 2, here's what Paul says. God has done this in order that in the coming ages God might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship, His masterpiece, His creation, meant to reveal the grace of God by doing the works he has prepared for us to do in Christ Jesus. How fitting, how fitting that we are clothed in Christ because it is Christ who God wants the world to see. He has sent us out clothed in his Son so that the world will see his Son. You and I are meant to be Christ displayers. Now, we might not always do a great job at this, but this is our goal to live in the reality of the new self, putting on the armor of God, clothing ourselves with Christ so that the world can see the grace of God in us and through us. We are saints and we used to be corpses, but by God's love and his grace, we have been made alive in Christ and we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. So because this is our identity, saints who are alive in Christ, let us clothe ourselves in Christ so that God might display the incomparable riches of his grace through us. Your identity in Christ, listen to this, this is so important. Your identity in Christ shapes your behavior in Christ. Don't get that order confused. Your behavior follows your identity. Your identity doesn't follow your behavior. You can't act your way into this. You can't behave your way into this. Your identity actually is the one that shapes your behavior. So since you are alive in Christ, live like it. 
the letter to the Ephesians is about being who God has made us to be. It's about being who God has made us to be. Do you know who you are in Christ? Now, if you're listening here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to ask Jesus to come into your life. Because it's, it's not about your behavior. It's about your identity. And your identity can only change if Jesus is in your life. Jesus wants you to take you from death to life, from being a corpse to being fully alive. He wants to make you a saint by receiving all that he has for you. God wants you to become his child. And the only way that that's going to happen is if you invite Jesus into your life. So I encourage you, wherever you are right now, whether you're at home or in this room, to pray, to ask Jesus to come into your life. If you've never done this before, you can just pray, Jesus, come into my life and make me a child of God. Receive Jesus into your life and become a saint. Become a child of God. Become clothed in Christ. If you do that, would you let us know? We would love to be able to walk with you through this to help you learn more about what it means to be a saint, to be a child of God. If you're already a follower of Jesus, do you know your identity in Jesus? Read through the book of Ephesians. I hope you've done that already. I hope you take another look today. Read through the book of Ephesians and see what God has to say about you. You are his child, a saint, holy and righteous, clothed in Christ. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Worship team, you guys can come on up. Remember a story of a, of a young lady. Several years ago, I was uh, the youth pastor here, and I took a bunch of kids on a big yellow school bus to PRBI in Sexsmith. And uh, on our drive home... I was chatting with this 16, 17-year-old girl, uh, and it was all dark. It was at night, and she was in the seat behind me, so we were talking um, across the seat there. And I remember her telling me uh, she, had, she had met her boyfriend at, at this place we went to. He had gone with a different youth group, and she had come with our youth group, and they had met up there. And she said that she lost him about halfway through the night, and when she finally found him, he was behind the, the school gym making out with another girl. So she was just heartbroken over this. And she began to tell me about how this is the common theme in her life. People would always just leave her. People would always cheat on her. People always did that. And then she began to say, it's because of who I am. This is just who I am. I am cheat worthy. I'm a terrible person. I'm horrible. I'm gross. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares me. I'm unlovable. That was what she began to say. And I was heartbroken for her. Now, I couldn't even see her face. But I was heartbroken for her because she said this not like she had just come to this realization, but like this was the identity that she had lived with for many years. 16 or 17 years old. And already she knew she was unlovable. She was hopeless. People would just always cheat on her. And so I said, would you, would you be okay? I knew she wasn't a believer. I said, would you be okay if I told you what God thought about you? And she said, oh, yeah, I don't really believe in the Bible or God or any of that kind of stuff. I said, that's fine. Let me just tell you about what God thinks about you. And she said, that's fine. Um, she actually said that I've heard about God before, 
and I, I just don't want to hear about him anymore. And so I said, well, here's what I think God thinks about you. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Before you were even born, God had a plan for your life. God loves you for who you are. God thinks that you are worth dying for. God sent his son Jesus to earth to die on your behalf so that you can become his daughter. He wants you to be his princess. He wants to, he wants to fill you with so many good and amazing things because he thinks you have value that is of infinite worth. You're his masterpiece. You are his creation. He is so excited about getting to know you. And he thinks you're amazing. And so after I said these things and a couple of other things that were really specific to her, uh, she didn't say anything. I, it was just quiet. And we sat on the bus. And it was just quiet. I couldn't even read facial expressions. I didn't know if she had fallen asleep or left her seat even. And then she finally just said, if that's what God thinks about me, I think I want to know more about God. It's amazing what happens when we begin to realize who we are in Christ. The world tells us all kinds of things about, about how we're broken or useless or a corpse, that we're dead. And the reality is, without Christ, we are. But with Christ, with Christ, he makes us alive. My prayer for you today is that you would begin to understand who you are in Christ. So we've encouraged you to, to text in some questions based on, on this sermon or Ephesians in general. That number is up on the screen. Again, 587-330-1158. If you've got a question or a thought that you want to ask, you can do that. We're going to sing this song together. And then following the song, I'll come up here. We'll put some questions up on the screen. I'll answer what I can I might say I don't know to a bunch of them, but it'll be fun. But why don't you please stand me, stand, stand with me and join me as we sing this closing song. And if you've got a question, quickly text that in and we'll, uh, we'll get that, that question up on the screen. All right. So do we have anybody text in some questions? Oh, look at that. Bam. <laughs> oh, how fun is this? All right. So even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This verse seems to allude to predestination. Is that what this verse means? Okay, so um, for those of you that, that may not know what that is, so predestination is, uh, is the idea that some people are predestined to be saved, and some people are predestined to not be saved, okay? So it's this idea that um, God has already chosen who's going to be his children and who's not going to be his children, uh, and, uh, and you're, just, you're either one or the other. So I don't believe in that, actually. I don't believe in predestination. Here, here's my take on this idea. Now, you're going to get different answers depending on who you talk to. So this is Greg's answer, right? So my idea on a timeline, time is created for mankind. Time is not something that God is bound to. So God is not waiting his days away, 
right? It's not like God is waiting. It's, you know, it's Sunday. He's waiting for Monday to come, and oh, Monday's going to be a rough day, whatever. God's not sitting like that. God is outside of time. Time has been created for us. So in our finite understanding of things, there's a sequence of events. It's Monday, then it's Tuesday, then it's Wednesday, that kind of idea. But for God, who stands outside of time, all of time is laid out before God, and so God knows all the things that will happen. It's not that God has chosen certain people to be His and and certain people to not be His, but that God stands outside of time and sees all of the timeline of everything and knows ahead of time who His children are. Not because He has chosen them ahead of time, but because they've chosen and He knows that who is chosen. Okay? It's a pretty lame answer, really, uh, because this is a hugely difficult discussion on predestination or not predestination. But that's my understanding of it, is because God stands outside of time. He knows ahead of time who's going to choose him and who's not going to choose him. Not that he is, he's the one that orchestrates that, but that he knows who's going to choose and who's not going to choose. So that's my thought on that verse. There you go. (laughs) What else have we got? That's a, that's a really easy low ball for you to throw that in there for me. That's fantastic. Started out slow. So if behavior is related to identity, how do I react to people when they are behaving badly? Oh, what a great question. That, that should have been the first one. That's a fantastic question. Okay, so, that, so there's several different things here. First off, you can't read somebody else's mail. Y- you need to deal with you, Okay. You need to deal with what God has told you to do. And what has God told you to do? He's told you to love other people, even to love your enemies. When people do something wrong to you, you're supposed to respond to them with the love of God. Okay? So when, you, when, you're, when you're doing this, um, when people are behaving badly, your job is still to respond with God's love to them. Also, amazing how you can speak into somebody else's identity. If you have an opportunity, when someone is behaving badly, okay, we do a good thing in Christianity. We do this thing called behavior modification, right? We want everybody to act good. And it's a terrible idea because actually behavior modification is not the way to get people to to be different. What you need to do is start with what's inside of a person, and so I, there's this tribe over in Africa that when one of their tribes people do something wrong, when they beha- behave badly, uh, what they do to that tribe's person is they don't punish them. They pull them in the middle of the tribe. They all stand around them, and they begin to remind the tribe's person of who they are. You are so-and-so's son. You're so-and-so's grandson. You're a good person. You, you're an amazing person. You, you were created to be within this family. You belong to this family. You belong to this tribe. You're wonderful and amazing. They speak to the person's identity. They don't try to change their behavior because they recognize that behavior follows identity, not the other way around. And so they speak to the person's identity. So if you're dealing with someone who is behaving poorly, you have two jobs. Your first job is to respond with the love of God. Your second job, if you have the opportunity to do so, to be able to speak prophetically into their life who they are, who God's, how God sees them. Right Now, if they don't know Jesus, then they're in a broken state. But you can speak to them about, you know what, God loves you. He created you. You're made in the image of God. 
God wants a relationship with you so that he can show you how much you are loved. So begin to speak to their identity. So that's, those are the two answers to that question that I would have. Awesome. This is fun. <laughs> you guys like this? How many questions do we have? We have four questions. Okay. So what is your advice for helping to let go of the old self when it tries to linger on in the new? Okay. So there's a couple of things. Um, what I usually tell people is make sure you know who you are in Christ. So I've had people before um, write out who they are in Christ on sticky notes and stick it on their bathroom mirror, um, stuff like that. Dig into God's word on the things that he says about you, the things that are true about your identity in Christ. Okay, so you can know what, who, what's the new self? What's the new self? I'm created in God's image. I'm, a, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm a saint. I'm holy and righteous, right? You have to be able to fill yourself up with the reality of who you are in Christ. So put those scriptures all over your room, put them all over your, your bathroom mirror, make sure you, you get them into you to remind yourself of who you are. And then, that old stuff, like I talked about the gentleman who had to invite Jesus to come in and dig out that tree, that old stuff has a way of hanging on. So we do soul care here, and in soul care we walk people through being able to identify some of those old trees, those old roots that are in their lives, right? If I am constantly having problems with my anger, where does that come from? If I'm constantly having trouble with, with lying, where does that come from? And we try to go back and figure out where that root is and invite Jesus to come in there and take that root away. Because oftentimes that root that brokenness, those type of things that hang on, that root comes from a place that was at a young age, it becomes into our life and it grows around in our life and it hangs on in our life. And so when we identify what that root is, we say, Jesus, can you come and can you destroy that root? So there was probably a lie sown in your life at some point. We recognize what the lie is, the lie about your identity, that you're worthless. So we recognize, okay, there's this root of worthlessness in your life. So Jesus, what truth do you have to tell us about this person? They're not worthless. They are of infinite worth. And so we invite Jesus to come in there and dig out that root, replace that root with the truth, take that lie away and put the truth in there, and then start to live our life out of that truth. So if you're interested in walking through this soul care stuff, we would love to talk to you more about that. So get in touch with either Pastor Amy or myself, one of the elders, your small group leader, um, even just your friends. So you had, I'd love to dig down and figure out why I continue to live in this broken space. And usually it's from a lie that's been li- uh, placed into your life a long time ago. Okay. Last one, follow-up. If behavior is related to identity, how should I react to myself when I am behaving poorly? What a great way to end it. Okay. Um, where is the passage? Where is the passage? Uh, so in the Psalms, one of David's Psalms, he speaks to himself and he says, Oh my soul, why are you so downcast within me? Sometimes you've got to talk to yourself. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself to think differently. You, do you know you actually can talk to your mind? I know you talk out of your mind, but you can talk to your mind. And you can tell your mind to come and line up with the things of Christ. You can tell yourself, stop this. Stop this stinking thinking. Stop this broken living. You can tell yourself and and speak truth to yourself. 
about the way that you're supposed to live, the way that you're supposed to live out of your identity. And again, it comes down to identity. So maybe just asking Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to make you aware of the stuff in your life that needs to be dredged up, the stuff that doesn't belong, the broken stuff that's not supposed to be there anymore. So this is a large topic, but really it does come down again to that soul care stuff, to understanding who you are in Christ and digging deep into that. Uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your life, to dredge up the stuff that doesn't supposed to be, isn't supposed to be there and replacing it with the truth of what Jesus says about who you are. Okay. That was fun. Did you guys find that fun? <laughs> okay. We'll try to make sure we have a bit more time next Sunday. We'll do this again next Sunday. We're going to be reading through, is it Colossians next Sunday? So Colossians next Sunday. If you're not a part of a Facebook group, get on the Facebook group, um, Facebook community group, and we're, there's going to be a reading plan for you there. There's some other information that gets shared on that group uh, that you'll find very helpful. But read through Colossians this week, and we'll step into that next week, and we'll do these questions again, and we'll try to leave a little more time for the questions at the end. All right, blessings on you guys. I'm going to read the benediction out of Ephesians for you which is a fantastic benediction. So why don't you stand? Thank you guys for those questions. Those are great questions. If you have any more questions this week, don't text that number if you have questions because we may not check that number this week. But you can go on our Facebook page. You can go on the Facebook community group and ask lots of questions. You can chat with, uh, with any of the elders or leaders here. We'd love to chat with you more about this. But here's the benediction from Ephesians. Paul, throughout the book of Ephesians, is praying all the time for us. This is so good. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Blessings on you as we go through this week and learn more about your identity in Christ. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.